Blog Talk Radio. Let me tell you about something new. A new show called G's Power. G's Power. Real talk for real saints. Are you ready? And it's for real. Welcome to G's Power Hour live every weekday at 11.30 a.m. on Never Had It So Good Entertainment Network. Your host, G, will bring you informative and entertaining guests and a variety of topics in a way that you can absorb and enjoy. Listen in weekdays and call in at 516-387-1944. We love interaction. All shows can be downloaded if you miss one or found on iTunes the next day. G's Power Hour is powered by Never Had It So Good Sports Media Network. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters, kings and queens, angels and saints. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today. So we are pleased to welcome back. But before we do, I just want to say it's it's already last minute if you're doing the Valentine's Day thing. But, you know, just a reminder, you still got a chance to kind of you know, get your stuff in gear for tomorrow, Valentine's Day. Um, you got no excuses if you listen to the show because I've reminded you. But anyway, uh, we are pleased to welcome back with us uh, Mr. Kevin Anderson, civil rights attorney with Anderson & Welch. Good morning. How are you, sir? Welcome back. Oh, okay. I got to find out where Mr. Kevin is. So uh, anyway, uh, in the meantime, Mr. The Kevin number. is here. Mr. Kevin is here. Hey, hey, I was Mr. just Kevin. making it over to the microphone. Hey, good morning to you, G. I'm doing great. How, you doing? How are you? I'm doing fine. I'm hanging in there. Great. Huh? Great. 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 Good, great. Good. I'm glad to hear that. It sounds like you got a, a little yeah. horse over the last couple of days. What's going on with you? I've, oh, goodness gracious. It's been more than the last couple of days, unfortunately. But um, it's getting gradually better. I just. You know, don't really get that opportunity to rest it, you know. So mm-hmm. hopefully this weekend I'll I'll be able to a little bit better. Got a, a bit of a long weekend coming up. So good to talk to you. It's been a minute. It has been a little bit. It has been a little bit. You know, and I, I, uh, I, I caught your, your opening salvo for us last-minute brothers uh, for mm-hmm. Valentine's Day, and I'm here to represent, all right, it's not too late, guys. So you're right on time. Just keep going. Stay focused. Ignore G. Keep focused. You know, we'll, we'll get there. <laughs> uh, the later you wait, the more you procrastinate, the more it's going to make you, you know, it's going to bite you in the, in the uh, wallet. Just saying, you know. Yeah, more, the more money you spend because things are not available and you've got to do, you know, other things to compensate for your lateness, you know, so. But uh, don't no, give up. Yeah. Keep moving. Keep moving. No, don't don't give up. You just you can't give up. But um, you you definitely you got to get in there and get get it done. And there are creative things and ways that you could do. You know, just you know, have you been paying attention since last Valentine's Day to what your significant other says that he or her wants or or needs? And you know, it's not just the brothers that procrastinate. I'm not going to put it just on the brothers, but it's primarily the brothers. So. But <laughs> primarily the brothers. I digress. 
<laughs> so let's get to what we need to talk about, Kevin. Uh, something something that kind of got stuck in, in in your crawl. I guess that's the uh, phrase. Uh, something that really is has um, got you um, a little bit rattled or, or unnerved or a little bit annoyed, for putting it mildly. Let's talk about it. Yeah. I, you know, I, I came out of the forest because I was, uh, I've been watching the Antonio Harris uh, case. Uh, and for those of you who don't recall, because there, there's so many cases like this that, that happen until it's, it's hard to keep track. But Antonio Harris was a, a black man who uh, was uh, uh, traveling in Louisiana. It was a, a traffic stop that uh, was attempted by law enforcement. He had warrants and took the pursuing police officers on a 29-mile pursuit. Eventually, the car was stopped with these spikes that are thrown out into the road to disable the vehicle. And um, when they caught up with him, uh, you know, they slapped him around, used a flashlight to bludgeon him. Uh, and at some point, they actually lifted him from the ground by his by his hair, and and then uh, turned off their their body worn cameras. Their math is that you uh, can uh, listen to statements and text. You can view text messaging between the police officers, where they're basically you know giving each other the attaboy and encouraging each other and sort of like, you know, rejoicing in the fact that they're going to now, you know, uh, you know, send the message out. And particularly they're going to give this, this fellow, Mr. Harris, uh, a, a lesson learned for running from the police. And he'll never forget this. And he's going to be sore when he wakes up from this beating. And, you know, he's, um, you know, he's going to have nightmares behind this. So this is uh, uh, clearly a case of excessive force. Uh, and uh, an unreasonable seizure, even though he was in the wrong for, for uh, evading the police and, and not stopping, and he was also uh, in the wrong for resisting with or without violence. Um, that does not mean that you are justified in, uh, in doing what you're doing to him uh, that results in, in force. So um, this case uh, was investigated. And uh, ultimately, the prosecutor in the case elected uh, not to pursue charges against any of these men. Um, now, there was an arrest or, or charge uh, that did take place. There were three of them, I believe. Two of the officers uh, were initially uh, let go uh, with respect to the battery charges. And then the third one, I think his, uh, his uh, dismissal is pending or it just took place. But the bottom line is that none of them are going to be held accountable. So my concern and why I am here today is uh, to discuss something known as uh, prosecutorial immunity uh, in order to address uh, this other cog in the wheel of uh, criminal justice reform uh, that is often overlooked, even though we see it. Uh, you know, we get excited about police shooting in windows or kneeling on necks of uh, people who've been uh, uh, taken into custody and are, and are, you know, no longer a threat to the officer. Um, you know, there's another player 
in the system, and that is the prosecutor uh, who has to do his or her job in order to bring uh, these particular perpetrators, I call them, in blue, sometimes green, sometimes brown, sometimes plain clothes, uh, to uh, justice. And if we don't have that in, in place, we're going to have this phenomena of excessive force and malfeasance and misconduct in perpetuity from here uh, until kingdom come. So how is it that, um, is there, I mean, for, well, let me ask this. Is this settled or is there a, an opportunity to appeal the decision or what? Well, the, the discretion to prosecute is, is singular. Uh, there is one prosecutor. We call him either a state attorney or a district attorney um, in, the, in, this, in the state arena. Uh, and with respect to federal offenses, we uh, identify those players as uh, United States uh, um, assistant attorneys. You, you know, we call them uh, assistant U.S. attorneys, ALSAs. So mm-hmm. there is no civilian counterpart who can pick up the mantle and, you know, and, and start prosecuting. So we are reliant on these, these entities to do their jobs. Uh, there's nothing else we can do except what I do, and that is to – uh, you know, to bring uh, action uh, both uh, through the state uh, statutes that afford us uh, some degree to get around sovereign immunity and uh, also through federal uh, causes of action which are available. Okay. So, I mean, basically, it, okay, there's just nothing. This is, is just done. Uh, and, and this man has no recourse. His recourse is Kevin Anderson and, and other practitioners like me, okay, uh, gotcha. who who are you know you know sounding the alarm and, and we're raising cane uh, about this. You know, I, we see these things happening. You know, but you know, I think the 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 fight is at a larger, higher level, a more sophisticated level, uh, where practitioners like me are like these these snipers who are on the roof. You know, you know, mm-hmm. firing away so that the foot soldiers who are, you know, are are uh, are practitioners uh, filing these actions at a lower level, or um, the uh, players at the state attorney or district attorney offices feel comfortable enough to do what they have to do, uh, have clearance to to move. You know, because you know they're caught. These prosecutors are kind of caught. You know, I mean, you know, they are. It's like a culture. All right. So, you know, these, these, these prosecutors are in this, uh, this toxic codependent relationship with the police. Um, you know, they're, they have this overt pressure. And sometimes it's, it's not so overt. It's, it's silent where they need to comply with the police culture of silence and violence uh, in order to coexist in that environment. And, you know, and that, that ecosystem is dependent upon each other, the, the police officer to charge and the prosecutor to literally, like, prosecute whatever is brought to the prosecutor. So you'll have a police officer who may have a dozen or so cases that are in the hopper and they're just, you know, they're coming, you know, down the pipeline that a prosecutor, you know, needs that officer for. 
so they are loath to now castigate that officer or to do something which will uh, cast a, a bad light on the agency that the officer is employed with. Um, you know, it, it's a problem that's been there, and it will continue to exist um, because of this career-long partnership that has evolved from decade to decade. Okay. Um, and so I, I take it I, – I, I'm, I'm just curious. The prosecutors, though, uh, are, are they, they usually are um, elected or appointed. That's, I guess, what I want to go into. Or does it Very depend good. on where – Very good question. Yep. Okay. It depends on where you're located, and it depends on when – you are now looking at a particular office uh, where the prosecutors are, are deployed. Um, in Florida, we do elect prosecutors. We elect state attorneys. Um, however, if a state attorney is removed or no longer is capable of serving, then mm-hmm. in the interim, our governor appoints a new prosecutor to mm-hmm. work up until the new election. Uh, where you are, I believe your your state attorney was just uh-huh. plucked out of place, um, and uh-huh. it, it also happened uh, again on the west coast uh, of Florida, and it, it looks like it might be getting ready to happen again. So you've got these uh, these you know these these individuals who you would think aren't subject to political pressure, but they kind of are because they're elected, and also they could be removed. Um, and, you know, when you are trying to become a, a prosecutor in the interim, if you're looking at filling a position that happens to be vacant, you've got to understand you're not going to be picked if you're not consistent with the, uh, with the executive, the chief executive, who is the governor. If your policies and if you're, what you're going to do isn't going to, you know, uh, further what the political platform consists of, you can kiss it goodbye. You're not going to be put in that position. I was going to say because you have who who my 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 question is then who determines prosecutorial misconduct is it the people or is it the politicians or officials or whatever because you had a person that the people elected that didn't necessarily have a problem with per se but then you got a governor who di- did not like the conduct of that particular prosecutor and removed her in, in, in this case here in central Florida and put someone else in place who is now running. Um, but I, w- I was just th- thinking is like, isn't that, I was going to say, isn't that kind of a conflict of interest when you have the governor or someone to put someone in that place because um then isn't that person able to turn around and rule according to that particular governor or you know group of people, whatever it's preference, which in some cases could be considered uh, you know conflict of interest or misconduct in a way, right? Well, that's exactly my, my point. Yeah, the the office is political in the sense that they want to please the uh, the master. 
so to speak, who has the ability to remove them, whether or not we think it's appropriate. It's, uh, oh. I happen to believe that there is a, a strong reason not to uh, create the capacity for a governor to do that. And, you know, these two people that, that we're referring to, um, they were prosecutors, state attorneys in Florida, and they were removed because of their beliefs regarding uh, uh, the imposition of certain penalties in our state that they thought. Right. I know that uh, penalty was one. Exactly. You know, and our governor, he wanted to go another way. He didn't like their decisions. So um, I, I think that uh, he uh, should not be permitted to remove a prosecutor um, who has been entrusted with the discretion to charge people and to and enforce our laws. Um, but uh, on the other hand, the people now step back in, and the balance here is that we get to now elect someone to fill those shoes. But then if he can come behind us after that election and remove that person and then now select who that replacement will be, we're stuck with that individual for you know, the duration or the balance of the term until we get to elect the person again. So you've got this, yeah, this juxtaposition. It's almost like, what's it's, the it's, point? It, it, I, I mean, it, it's, it, it's, there's something wrong with that. But there's something wrong with a lot of things. You know, if there's something wrong with us having, you know, a, a legislative process is determined by legislators, okay? They're a separate, co-equal branch of government. And then to have a, another co-equal branch, the judiciary, to review the legislation and then to um, strike it down, you know, or to repeal it, and uh, only to have us come back again and to re-legislate and to put it back on the books. Um, and, you know, we're saying, okay, wait a minute. Now, we said we wanted to do something. The courts are saying that we can't do it. Then we come back and we say, no, we're going to do it again. And then now it goes back up and it's back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. You know, what's happening here? Um, you know, mm-hmm. so, you know, there are some things sitting right now in the Supreme Court of Florida that we thought were done. We thought we were good to go. For example, Amendment 4 with respect to bringing back uh, our citizens who were returned to the voting rolls uh, as long as they had all of their fines and penalties taken care of and they were not convicted for a homicide or sexual battery. Well, we thought that, like, if someone, like, checked the boxes, they would, like, show back up to the ballots and vote. Well, not so easy. There was a challenge. And this, the, uh, this issue uh, hinged on paying other costs associated with the completion of a sanction um, before you could be returned to the, to the rolls. So now in comes the judiciary. They're trying to determine, like, well, who's eligible and who isn't. Well, I thought we determined that. We went to the ballot. So, like, you know, it, it's always going to be this, this rubber band, you know, back and forth and forth and back in politics. And, and I guess people, some people think that's the beauty of our system, to have this balance of powers, to have this shift of powers and this fluid, flexible process that we live in. Okay. It's good to have you back, Kevin. It's been a while. It's nice to have you back to get into these issues. I really appreciate it. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, If you have questions or comments, the number is 
516-387-1944. We are here with civil rights attorney Kevin Anderson of Anderson & Welch. This is G's Power Hour. I never had it so good entertainment, and we will be right back. At Vintage Labs Collection, we are a multifaceted team of medical professionals dedicated to delivering the best quality products to patients. Our mission is to deliver the best supplement and patient outcomes in healthcare environments and consumer homes. Chat with our consulting pharmacists by visiting our website at www.vintagelabscollection.com. Supplements are not highly regulated, but Vintage Labs holds the standards higher than most. Over the past 60 years, Dove Beauty Bar's superior formula has remained unchanged. But when it comes to beauty, everything changed. Together, we redefined beauty. We said no to stereotypes and yes to every type. We let go of judgments and embraced what makes us unique. We're proud to have been there with you, caring for you every step of the way. Here's to the next 60 years. Good morning. Welcome back to G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. I'm your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today. We are here with civil rights attorney Kevin Anderson of Anderson and & Welsh. And if you have questions or comments, the number is 516-387-1944. We are talking about prosecutorial immunity and misconduct. And according to uh, – I looked it up uh, on the – there's a site called, Institute, uh, I guess, Institute for Justice. Um, and it talks about prosecutorial immunity. Um, it says it's a judge-made doctrine that cloaks prosecutors in near absolute immunity from suit. Under this doctrine, prosecutors cannot be sued for any actions related to their job as a prosecutor, no matter how egregious the behavior. For example, prosecutors cannot be sued for knowingly prosecuting an innocent person, withholding evidence of innocence or even fabricating false evidence of guilt. Um, right. It just makes me cringe. When I was reading it, it just made me cringe. This is like, this is like it almost reminds me of, uh, you familiar with the movie Dread, Judge Dredd? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I am the law. It's, 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 uh, it's almost like being God. It's, it's just it's something that's really wrong and off about that. They have an enormous degree of discretion. Um, and, you know, you're in, and I want to point out that you're, you, you address its origin. This is a judge-made doctrine. Um, this mm-hmm. is a doctrine that was imposed upon uh, our culture by people who sit in judgment over us and who kind of, you know, are at the, uh, at the, 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 the post allowing people to enter and to exit, uh, who one day determined that prosecutors would be given what is known as absolute immunity. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so I, I want to I emphasize that that, that immunity um, has a name. And um, there yeah. are, are two types of immunity. And, uh, you know, this evolution has, you know, brought us, you know, from this absolute immunity to also include qualified immunity with these prosecutorial decisions. So, um, and you should be shocked when you look at the 
phrase that prosecutors who knowingly, knowingly prosecute innocent people and knowingly withhold evidence of innocence or knowingly fabricate false evidence of guilt are given like a pass. Um, so um, there, there has been an evolution uh, because I, I, I know that this, it just sounds like they just kind of take over the world, you know, with that, uh, that definition. Um, but, I mean, we've been wrestling with this, and lawyers have been filing actions to deal with this. And, you know, thank God also have a U.S. attorney's uh, or Department of U.S. Department of Justice through the U.S. attorney and also the uh, Civil Rights Division within the Federal Department of Justice that, you know, they're they're fighting with us. I mean, I know a lot of us think that, that, you know, that the Department of Justice is just kind of another cog in the wheel, shaking hands with with the evil prosecutor. And they are themselves prosecutors, but they, they're, they've been very helpful in the, in the struggle. So um, let's talk about that, though, Gene. Let, let's talk about uh, absolute immunity uh, and why it evolved. So, yeah, uh, right I was looking at I was looking at this. Thing. I guess it came out of this case in 1976. Um, yeah, yeah. Embler versus Embler versus Pacman. Okay, all right. Do, what do you oh, know about that? You've been doing your homework, man. You've been doing your homework. I, I, I was scanning on the fly to tell you the truth, <laughs> but uh, it, it, this this uh, this kind of document kind of provided me a lot of information, and I wanted to talk talk to you and get your your take on on that. Um, th- so this is, I guess, in certain terms. In, in relatively recent history, when I say that, it's, it hasn't, it's not even 100 years old. You know, it's not something from the 1800s or something like that even. This is 1976. It's one of those cases that if you practice in this area, everyone knows it's, it's a staple because it sort of lays the foundation uh, for this uh, absolute immunity doctrine. And, and, the, and again, the case is Embler versus Patchman and, and I'm, I'm memory Embler I'm good with I M B L E R but Patchman I think it's P A C H T M A N there could be two N's but I, I know it's P A C H T right you know and I, yeah one N uh, it kind of one N okay Patchman there you go so this case uh, literally laid out the the reason for affording uh, prosecutors a, a kitchen pass. Uh, when it comes to avoiding immunity. And, and they, they, they brought up like four principles. Uh, you know, one of the principles was that um, they needed to do their job without being afraid of being sued. And that these prosecutors, you know, they're doing their job, and, and, and for the most part, they're doing what they're supposed to do. They are, you know, bringing things to the grand jury. They're filing, you know, charging documents known as informations. They're going into courts and standing in front of a jury uh, and making arguments. They're trying to, like, keep people in jail who ought to be in jail. Cuters are not these, these, you know, these demons, man, that come, you know, flying out of hell, you know, running around the earth, you know, doing terrible things. Uh, There are bad decisions that are made by certain prosecutors. Uh, so the prosecutors are or would be in jeopardy of being sued because we are a litigious society, and anybody can be sued for anything. 
So in order to give them this assurance that they can do their jobs without, you know, walking into court uh, Monday morning or walking into their office and having someone slap them with a lawsuit, that was one of the reasons why absolute immunity was afforded to them. If what they were doing within the scope of their job uh, was the substance of a lawsuit. Second, um, the criminal justice system would just shut down if unwily, uh, no, wily guys like me uh, were filing these suits against prosecutors in order to slow them down or to thwart uh, legitimate prosecution. Uh, I mean, our, our system would break down. You know, there would be like like a, a, a clog or a jam that would cause this chaotic state of movement in the criminal justice process. Um, in addition, another factor was that if a prosecutor thought that they saw something that they needed to put the brakes on or they needed to, like, somehow interject themselves, they would be afraid to do so if they thought that this, that would form a basis for suing them. They would just kind of keep going because they would think, you know what, I'm not going to bring this, this, this abnormality to light. I'm not going to, like, you know, blow the whistle because these guys are going to turn around and sue me. So, no. So, by giving them this immunity, that would uh, avoid um, that process that, you know, would, would be um, probably a lawsuit that would cost them a ton of money and that would uh, result in them quitting and, and also would stop different prosecutors or potential prosecutors from taking the job. Um, you know, this is also a, a difficult thing, G, uh, to, to process. I think that was kind of one of the fourth reasons that, you know, there's, we got enough difficulty as, you know, as exists in just doing their job from day to day. So now if a guy like me sues them, and the case now gets reversed because of some prosecutorial misconduct. Now the case gets thrown back into the criminal justice system. And now everything that I did in my lawsuit is now brought up in the criminal case. And now you've got like these, these old criminal cases being brought back, put on the docket. And now we're like starting to like, you know, gen it up again. And it makes the whole system more difficult to get through. So, so those are kind of the reasons why uh, this, this, this prosecutorial, this absolute prosecutorial uh, standard was established. I got nothing to say. My head is spinning. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, I, yeah, I was – and I was trying to uh, look up some, some other stuff. Uh, um, let's see. Well, let me tell something you. From and, and, um, in 1994. Cases, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Let me tell you, you've got you – got, Justice Thurgood Marshall giving it the thumbs up that, you know, I mean, there, there are some, some of these cases where he joined in ag- agreeing that prosecutorial, absolute prosecutorial immunity is appropriate. Um, you know, he, he, all but the cases involving this deliberate concealment of exculpatory evidence, um, you know, the, the more liberal justices, when he thinks that the Supreme Court they understood that you cannot stop the, the wills of, of, of prosecution. You can't stop the criminal justice system. So surprisingly, when you read the, 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 the entire opinion, and I'm talking about, you know, the main opinion and also the dissents, you, you see mm-hmm. what the rationale is for that principle of absolute immunity. But, but go ahead. You were, you were going to cite a few cases or you were going to do something? 
Oh, I saw something, and I, I just lost it here. Um, from 1994, I guess, where they trying to soften soften that up a little bit. Hold on, just a minute. Let me pull that back up. I think I posted it on G's Power Hour Facebook page, but it's something having to do with uh, the office of. Hold on a second. The uh, office of justice programs, U.S. Department of Justice. Uh, in 1994, they published uh, a 10-page document, something about prosecutorial immunity, no longer absolute. Yeah, Are you familiar right, with right. That? Well, yeah, I, I am. I am. But there, that's, um, uh, that's, you know, aspirational. Um, it's, okay. uh, you know, they are, they are trying to uh, propose uh, certain things that would now remove this absolute uh, immunity blanket um, and, you know, carve out this exception for uh, active concealment. Um, and, and let me tell you, like, just to, I want to be clear that the absolute immunity for prosecutors applies while the case is alive after the prosecution. Mm-hmm. You can get them. You can get them for okay. free arrest or investigative activity. That's where the line is drawn. So if there are pre-charging investigative activities that are undertaken by prosecutors, uh, that is not protected. They would fall under what's known as a qualified immunity status. So that's kind of that's, – that's where the uh, – the rubber meets the road there where, you know, they really have to, um, you know, understand that they can be, they can be dealt with. Like, for example, in the, uh, in the Ahmaud Arbery instance where the prosecutor was a part of the mm. investigation and, and took place, that took place, that, you know, she actively conferred with law enforcement. She died at the prosecution before it evolved into um, an actual case. Um, mm-hmm. that, and she thwarted the prosecution. They, they didn't bring the charge because of what she did. That's their mm-hmm. only defense that she could use would be what's known as qualified immunity under those particular instances, because that is that 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 carve out that allows practitioners to go get them because they're not acting within the scope of a full prosecution. Um, all right, so so do you see that distinction there? And, and, you know, pro- probably not. You know, this is kind of one of those things where you just got to kind of, like, trust me on this. Um, yeah, you, yeah, I got you. You do, you do. So, so that absolutely yeah. uh, I mean, too, as much as a lay person can, you know, so, yeah. Well, well you, one stops the prosecution and another deals with what happens because mm-hmm. of what you do to so that absolute right. immunity says you, you. you can't even bring the suit. You can't even bring it. Okay? Mm-hmm. Like you're done. But qualified immunity looks at conduct that violates what's known as uh, clearly established constitutional rights that reasonable people should know that they should not be violated. And it only kicks okay. in um, prior to the charge because of investigative involvement and there is a move afoot and cases to support post-conviction activity too. You know, but we won't talk about that. I think that's, that's someplace that, we, we're, you know, we, we just don't need to be. 
in a talk show. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah. So it's kind of interesting, huh? So, so let's look at some. So, are you gonna take a break soon, or you want me to just keep yeah. keep, keep no. plugging here? We'll take a break. We'll take a break, uh, so people can kind of absorb what you've just said, and then we can keep okay. going. We are here right. with civil rights attorney Kevin Anderson of Anderson and Welch. And if you have questions or comments, the number is five one six three eight seven one nine four four. G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. We'll be right back. Does it appear the long arm of the law is working against you instead of for you? Whom do you call when the boys in blue are pursuing you? When the wrong person behind bars may end up being you? With over 40 years combined legal expertise, Anderson and Welch bring to bear a smart, sound, sensible defense of those caught in what may be the unrelenting grip of the legal system. Turn to Anderson and Welch first to get ahead of trouble, not fall into it, by calling 561-832-3386. That's 561-832-3386. That's Anderson and Welch Law Firm online at andersonandwelch.com. Good morning. Well, good afternoon now. Welcome back to G's Power Hour. I've never had it so good entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today. We are talking prosecutorial immunity. I need a recola, sorry. And uh, we, <laughs> we are – and, and oh, by, by the way, yep, Valentine's Day, there's, the place has got specials on cupcakes, y'all, by the way, and, and other goodies. Just saying. Um, anyway, uh, what – how do you how do you perceive in the future as going forward um, that we handle uh, prosecutorial immunity? Do we see a, a, a tightening up on it? Do we see a, a, you know things changing? Do we see it being debated or, or, or adjusted? What do you see? I think that slowly the the flow is. Uh, uh, towards uh, tearing down that impenetrable wall uh, by moving this qualified immunity standard into view, which allows us to now, you know, to penetrate that barrier that we used to not be able to get into. Um, so mm-hmm. I think, you know, there are cases out there that are now dealing with active concealment um, and that are dealing with what's known as Brady violations, which which uh, pertain to the failure of a, a prosecutor to disclose evidence that's helpful to a person in their in their criminal case. Um, it's slow going. It's slow going because, um, quite frankly, uh, our our courts uh, aren't uh, doing what's needed to be done in order to to suppress this type of uh, prosecutorial. Um, discretion uh, that results in immunity. But um, as guys like me continue to file the lawsuits, we continue to make the argument, you, you're, you're seeing a slow chipping away of, of that type of immunity. Um, you know, gee, there is a cascade um, that we are dealing with as, as uh, practitioners where we see a guy like the, 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 the convicted, disgraced policeman 
who knelt on mm-hmm. George Floyd's neck. And, you know, he did this, mm-hmm. like, you know, so calmly uh, with his hands in his pockets, almost like, you know, looking around, whistling, while literally, like, you know, there were numerous body cameras or um, cell phones uh, filming him. And you know, he, he could have a care, you know, less that he was literally like killing a person beneath the weight of his knee. And mm-hmm. he did that because there is this culture, this partnership, which says, look, you know, I got a prosecutor who's going to step in and clean this up for me. You know, they, they, you know, they haven't like, you know, done anything to hurt us in the past. So like, I, I mean, you know, this, this, this unholy alliance, this handshake, if it was not there, would now produce a better police culture. And courts are starting to see that, look, it's starting, like, you know, from the prosecutor's office because they're the ones who are, who are allowing these people on, at the street level to do these crazy things to people. So if we now take away, take away the prosecutor's shield, you know, this, this, this doctrine, and it'll be limited to some degree, then that, that trickle-down is going to get to these police agencies. Okay, so, you know, just to, to I guess, clarify, is it going to take a particular case to chop at this, or is it going to just take a cer- certain action or a, a bill or a call for something? I mean, is this something that can happen? I, I guess one of the things I want to ask, is this something that can happen uh, legislatively or congressionally? Can, can like uh, uh, something be put on the ballot in November to deal with something like this? Uh, theoretically, th- this could be a, a referendum issue, theoretically. Uh, the time is not right. Uh, there are other things that are happening, like now. Uh, you, you need to start chipping away at this, like, much earlier than during the election year when we're about, you know, eight months away from, from a, a primary and, uh, you know, ten months away from an actual general election. Uh, right. There are, you know, there are things that, that, that we need to do because it's just not a ballot issue where you're controlling a prosecutor. Prosecutors have a couple of escape hatches, you know, and, and that's one thing that, you know, we need to be educated about as a people. They have escape hatches where they can kind of create their own immunity. You know, for example, um, you've got something known as the grand jury. Um, you know, if a prosecutor wants to uh, allow what has happened in the street by a police officer, to perpetuate, and they don't want to sully their hands, then the, the move is to say, well, you know what? I'm going to give it to a grand jury. I'll let them decide. So, like, you know, it's not me anymore. You know, the pot is pilot thing. You know, the blood is off my hand. So they'll, they'll shuffle it over to a grand jury. Now, we all know grand juries are not open to the public, and the process is secret. And there is no lawyer there other than a state attorney or a U.S. attorney. So basically you've got members from the community who are there sworn to secrecy. There is a secret proceeding that takes place. 
witnesses are brought in. It's a one-sided show that's conducted by guess who? Prosecutor, the guy who washed his hands. And then after, you know, the grand jury makes this decision, they return a bill, either a, a no bill or an indictment. And if it's, an, if it's a no bill, the prosecutor just kind of like steps out of the room and goes, hey, listen, man, I don't know what was on their mind. They, they made a really difficult decision, and I, I just say, well, hey, hey, man, they did that. It wasn't me. You know, that is one way that they, they get away with their duty instead of, like, you know, manning up or, you know, womaning up and doing what we hire them or elect them to do. Um, that's an escape hatch. Um, you know, there are statutes also. There's a statute in Florida which allows uh, uh, individuals to sue uh, and uh, prosecutors understand that, like, you know, you know, practitioners will pursue redress through those particular statutes. You know, they're chasing the money, you know, and, you know, we're, you know, we, we've got, we, we have in Florida the ability to go after the municipality or a particular police officer who kind of gets the party started that the prosecutor just has to react to. And, you know, unfortunately, uh, a lot of practitioners will go after the officers in the municipalities, uh, because that's what's available by statute, and prosecutors know it. And so they, they kind of, you know, move through that escape hatch as well. Um, so, and, and that's just a few. I got, like, I got more, more escape hatches. There are hatches all over the place, you know, for them to, to move and shake so that, you know, they aren't these targets that are easily identifiable uh, in the field. <laughs> I actually yeah. just came across uh, another article that, I posted um, just a minute ago on Jesus Power Hour Facebook page. Um, this is from a couple months ago. Um, we're in Pennsylvania um, looking at the scope of prosecutorial immunity in a wiretap suit. Um, in, in this particular case, it says the plaintiff argues a sovereign immunity waiver in this particular uh, wiretap act exposes prosecutors to liability. So, um, I, I posted that on the G's Power Hour Facebook page so that you all could take a look at that too. It's, it's it doesn't, you know, it just nothing does nothing seems cut and dry these days. You know, you, you kind of got to dig. You know, you, you got to uh, dig. You got to dig. Gotta, but gee, dig. even when you get them with those statutes, okay, so mm. that's a rare statute that literally says they prosecutors are up for grabs. That's an argument being made. I, I need to look at mm-hmm. the statute to see if the, if they have the you know the the, the 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 plain language which affords a plaintiff to go mm-hmm. after a prosecutor. I doubt that. I got to see it. You know where like yeah. the legislature would actually promulgate something that a, a governor would sign that says, "Hey, you can get these prosecutors." <laughs> you know, I, I'd really have mm-hmm. to, I'd really have to see that. But um, there's something known well, as go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead, Jason. No, I was just going to say, according to this, and that's that's why I posted. I get, I'm scanning as I'm listening to you as I'm going because it's just you know there's so many different angles on this thing. But uh, in this case, it says that Pennsylvania Supreme Court had agreed in this case to consider whether law enforcement officers may be sued for using unlawfully obtained communications in the course of their work. Um, so uh, that's a cop. Uh, that's a cop. That's not a prosecutor. Yeah, but it says generally prosecutors are shielded from civil actions, but a successful appeal from the plaintiff could chip away at some of those tro- protections. So, right. Well, um, it, well, now, you got to look further into it. 
Well, a yeah. a you know a wiretap. It sounds like free yeah. free charging. And remember, we talked about that that yeah. open field where you can get them for investigative or getting them involved mm-hmm. at that stage before the active prosecution. So you mm-hmm. know, then qualified immunity would kick in, and we got that all over the place. So we still have this right to to go mm-hmm. in using that particular scheme, you know. But get this. Even when you do, there's something known as, and I'm going to throw another term out there. It's called the interlocutory appeal, which <laughs> it says that, all right, so you got me right, in the investigative phase. Okay, you got me, you know, flat-footed. All right, you got me. But mm-hmm. now, if, for example, during that particular lawsuit, they lose, and they have to wind up going to trial, meaning that they lose pretrial. With all their motions and every shenanigan they pull, now they've got to face trial uh, after summary mm-hmm. judgment. What happens is that the court affords them the ability to stop the process right then and there. You can stop right then and there before the case gets to a jury, and you can appeal it. You can literally appeal this thing, interlocutory appeal. It's funky, man, you know, where, like, now, like, these poor people who wind up, you know, being the brunt of evidence that they never uh, were able to use to help them or, you know, they're, they're, you know, walking around with, you know, these bullets in them or, you know, you got a decedent's family that's now, you know, trying their, their level best to somehow, like, make heads or tails out of a decision by a prosecutor, you know, that resulted in charges not being brought because the prosecutor was involved in the investigative action. Now this poor family has to hire an appellate lawyer to somehow overcome this interlocutory appeal. Um, that's a challenge. You know, people don't want to spend that kind of money, and a lot of lawyers don't want to be involved at that level by spending that money on behalf of their clients. We are going to take our final break. We are here with Kevin Anderson of Anderson and Welsh. We are discussing today prosecutorial immunity and, uh, you know, whether that's something that uh, it just needs to be reexamined, um, that it doesn't need to be left in place. Uh, your questions or comments, you can, you know, give, give them to us at 516-387-1944. G's Power Hour on Never Had It So Good Entertainment. We'll be right back. This is Douglas Dobbs of Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service. We have served the Central Florida community for 29 years with quality funeral and cremation services. Honoring all religions and faiths, we have been here for many grieving families. Whether it's a complete funeral service with a burial or a simple, dignified cremation, Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service is here for you. Located at 430 North Kirkman Road at the 408 Expressway, Dobbs Cremation and Funeral Service, 407-578-7720. Dobbs dedicated to serving our families. Having a wedding, reception, family reunion, planning a banquet, or some other fundraising event. Need to share your knowledge through a workshop or seminar, or it's a difficult time and you need to plan a wake or repast. Let us help. At our gatherings, let us reduce the stress and make the occasion memorable, treasured. Call our gatherings at 407-968-9387 or email ourgatherings at yahoo.com. Let us help plan your special event. Good afternoon. Welcome back to G's Power Hour. I never had it so good entertainment. I am your host, G. Thanks so much for being with us today, tonight, 
yeah, you might want to overindulge just a little bit. Uh, it's Fat Tuesday because remember tomorrow, I know it's kind of awkward, it's Valentine's Day, but it also begins the period of Lent for some of us. So uh, just wanted to put that out there. Also tomorrow here on G's Power Hour, we welcome back Dr. Taiwan Tillman, cardiologist. Um, it is heart month, so uh, this is a good time to get get it checked, get the ticker checked. So we're not just talking about affairs of the heart in the um you know, I guess you could say figurative sense, but also in a literal sense as well. So anyway, back to Attorney Kevin Anderson of Anderson and Welsh. And so what other stuff's going on, Kevin? I mean, like I said, it's been a minute, so I know you've been busy. I've been extremely busy, uh, you know, trying to gather my wits about me for uh, a couple of trials that are uh, lined up. And um, I've also been on the lecture circuit uh, speaking to uh, plaintiff's counsel uh, about their cases that are pending. I've, I've been doing that quite a bit. So I've I just got to a point now where I am, you know, kind of coming up for air, but i got to go back under. So oh, wow. I'm litigating in Texas. I'm litigating in North Florida. Um, and I've got a number of, uh, of colleagues who are uh, coming to my practice for uh, consulting services um, because there are more and more people undertaking the police liability practice and uh, they're not quite sure, you know, how to maneuver or to overcome certain hurdles. It's not as easy as mm. people think. You know, you're not just going to write a letter and, and then they back a Brinks truck up to your office. That's not going to happen, man. You know, and these fights are tough, you know, and they cost a lot of money, you know. And they, mm. they, they, like if you're doing this stuff, you got to pay. Um, you know, for records, you got to pay for depositions, you got to travel, um, you know, you got to like budget your money so that you're able to live while you're waiting for some type of settlement, you know, and you're ready for the appeals. The appeals cost money. So, um, you know, I've been kind of, I've been, you know, very happily buried in, in some of those things. How often do you have the appeals? I mean, how often are these cases, I guess, on on average, on a guesstimate, how often are they usually settled the first time around, or how often do you have to go through the appeal process, and and how many times do you or can you appeal a particular case? You're willing to take peanuts um, very frequently. Uh, if you have a sizable case, you know, and I'm talking about one involving death or uh, a permanent injury of a significant body part like an eye or an extremity or an organ, um, those are the types of cases that uh, take a while, and they generally will uh, have something to think about for settlement. Um, and um, if the facts are on your side or they're even close to being on your side, you can get them settled but you're going to be settling these on the courthouse steps. They're not going to settle like where you're sitting in your office. You know, your metal will mm-hmm. be tested and the opposing counsel, they're going to bring in, you know, these uh, silk, silk stocking firms. Uh, they're going to double team you, triple team you, quadruple team you in order to weigh you down. Uh, as far as appeals, almost every time when there is a adverse ruling prior to trial, and you are, um, you know, dealing with something known as qualified immunity that we talked about, they're going to appeal because that is the new weapon in the, in the arsenal for 
defense counsel from the municipalities and for the or and on behalf of law enforcement, hopefully prosecute uh, when we do that more and more uh, by making you spend money to get these appellate lawyers and to you know deal with appellate mediation um, and to, to sometimes like you know you know bring in more resources in order to keep things going. That costs money, so that so, so they know appeal because we're going to settle it. You know, there's mediation at the appellate level as well as the the trial level. So let me ask you, when when they're appealing and everything, is it more about trying to prevent a payout or a particular amount in terms of a payout, or is it more about saving face? Uh, not admitting that something was was done wrong. I love it, man. You are hitting it right on the right, right squarely on the head. Every settlement will they will try to squeak in what's known as a, um, you know, a, an order that prevents uh, uh, discussion about the the settlement uh, um, terms and specifically the amount of money that was paid out. Um, that almost routinely exists. Um, now, the money is there. These municipalities, a lot of them are self-insured, but then some of them are uh, insured by these funds that uh, are these, co- you know, these co-ops that you know, are between each agency and these, these insurers that back them. You know, um, so you, you've got you know, the sheriff's fund that's out there. Um, you know, League of Cities, you know, they, they sometimes will offer uh, money that, you know, will pay things. So it's not necessarily about the money. It's, it's about also keeping it quiet so other people don't catch on. Uh, now, it's against public policy for a city to keep a settlement quiet. The money amount, mm. but you will see practitioners doing it all the time. All the, they'll, they'll try to do it. They'll try to squeak it in against people who don't know about that particular prohibition. Okay. Kevin, you know, I always wish we had more time, but we're going to have to go. Um, you know, next time you are able to come back up for air, you know, let us know. Cause, you know, I will. Get, a, get an update. I will. Yeah. Thank you. Thank, thank you for having again. me on. I miss you, and um, hope yeah, you have a great Valentine's Day tomorrow. Uh, well, like I said, it's Lent for me, so um, I'm going to celebrate Valentine's tonight and then um, go into that Lenten period tomorrow. But it's all okay. good. It's all good. Okay. All right. Take care. And like I said, tomorrow we do have Dr. Taiwan Tillman on, your buddy. So we look forward to having him on again, too, as well. So thank you all for being with us. This is indeed Power Hour. I've never had it so good entertainment. I am your host, G. Be well, be blessed, be safe, hug a loved one, keep me in prayer, and please remember, all real power comes from God. Take care.